Welcome to the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics podcast. NCSM is an organization supporting mathematics education leadership at the school, district, college, university, state, province, and national levels. Its membership constitutes an international force collaborating to achieve excellence in mathematics education. Be sure to visit the NCSM website at ncsmonline.org. Welcome to Episode 19 in the series of podcasts recorded at the NCSM Annual Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, April 7th through 9th, 2008. In this episode, Dr. Bill McBride, author of Entertaining an Elephant, presents Girls Will Be Girls, Boys Will Be Boys, Teaching to Gender Differences. Many boys are failing in our schools. Statistics clearly show that boys make up the bulk of our discipline problems, dropouts, and even inmates. Schools may be contributing to these failure rates by not considering differences in male and female brain development. Gender differences in brain development affect our children's behaviors, emotions, and the ability to process information. Dr. McBride's speech weaves humor with specific strategies to promote instruction that supports both male and female brains. Bill is introduced by Southern Region 2 Director Carol Newman. Good morning, everyone. I'm Carol Newman, and I am the Southern One Regional Director with NCSM, and we welcome you here this morning. I'm from Florida. And I got to know Bill in Florida because he loves Fort Lauderdale. I did. <laughs> and he was down there for some leadership meetings. But I'd like to tell you a little bit about Bill. He's a well-known national speaker, educator, and author. He's a former middle and high school reading specialist, English and social studies teacher. He's presently trains teachers both nationally and internationally in content area reading methodologies. His workshops are known for both his humor, you're going to see that, and practical application to the classroom. He holds a master's in reading and a PhD in curriculum and instruction from the University of North Carolina. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are we lost? What can I say? Bill's contributed to the development of a number of school textbook series in language arts, social studies, science, and vocabulary development. We've got to get him into math, guys. We really do. <laughs> Dr. McBride is also known for his heartwarming novel, Entertaining an Elephant, which you will all find in your packets. Okay? NCSM thought it was very important that you get to read this. And as Bill likes to say, don't read the last chapter first. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's in its 14th printing, and it's used by school districts across the nation. The book tells this moving story of a burned-out teacher who becomes re-inspired with both his profession and his life. His latest book, Building Literacy and Social Studies, is out now. And he also has this book, which I'm holding up. If they can argue well, they could write well. And I'm sure that you're going to uh, like to have a copy of that in your classroom or for your district. It is with great pleasure that I introduce Bill McBride. Thanks, Carol. Thank you. How many watch uh, Everybody Loves Raymond? God. <laughs> I wish I'd bought stock in that show. Well, that's kind of what this, I realized when I started learning gender differences, the genetic gender differences and, and the way actually our brains are made differently, that uh, the writers didn't know it, but they took the absolute genetic male brain and stuck it in a house with the absolute genetic female brain and then stuck in a crazy mother-in-law and put it all together and made a great show. Um, I hope, I wish I could have emailed each of you and told you to bring your spouse. Um, I had a lady in Fort Lauderdale, Florida tell me about two years ago. She came up to me at the end of the presentation. She said, today is my 20th wedding anniversary and I think you saved my marriage. <laughs> um, we're going to laugh a lot because you just got to. I mean, when you really see how different we are genetically. Now, we can be very close environmentally, all right? Um, we have a great handout. 
The handout has twice as much what I'm going to tell you, so don't worry about that, all right? I want you to just sit back and enjoy the show, all right? Get relaxed, get comfortable, because this is fun. Okay, what I usually do, this is part of, um, often part of a workshop. I, I'm a, uh, I, was a, I wrote textbooks for many years. I'm a reading specialist, usually grades 4 through 12. When I looked at most of my reading strategies, who do you think they were mostly for? Girls or boys? Girls. Girls. Had no idea. And it is so easy to tweak strategies to make them more boy-friendly. And guess what? When you do, girls do better also. So it's a win-win situation. So I don't want you to think, oh, this is all about helping those little rugrats that run around my room. All right? So what I usually do, I'm gonna, today we're just going to do this. How do a boys and girls learn differently? That's all we'll have time to do. But in a full day or half day workshop, what I then do is I take you through math strategies, social studies strategies, language arts strategies, and show you how I've learned to tweak them and make them so that boys are much more engaged in my classroom and not causing me problems. All right? Okay. There's some new research out, and now don't everybody get bored because I said research. There's some new research out, and I don't know, guys, I don't know who funded this study, but came out two years ago. It said that one out of three women become more attractive as they grow older. <laughs> now, ladies, one year later, I don't know who funded this study, but it said uh, one out of three men become more handsome as they grow older. All right, here's what I want you to do. Don't be obvious. I want you to just kind of cut your eyes to the person to your left. Don't be obvious. All right, now I want you to cut your eyes to the person to your right. Don't be obvious. Okay, now that you can strike those two off the list, you ought to feel pretty good about yourself. <laughs> I want to tell you, uh, okay. Oh, I had another slide that's not there. Um, all right, again, science is caution that we're looking at nature and nurture here. We're really just looking at the nature part. Um, this is 50%. We are all on a continuum, all right? But environment plays a huge role in who we become. But I'm going to talk about how the male and female brain are actually made differently and what we, how we see that in the behaviors of our children. I first got onto this from a book by Michael Gurian. Um, he says that in schools in America and elsewhere, many boys are failing badly. How badly? Well, here are some of the statistics he gives. Males get 70% of our D's and F's. They make up 80% of our discipline problems. They make up 70% of kids diagnosed with learning disabilities. They make up 80% of those kids who are prescribed Ritalin. They are one to one and a half years behind girls in reading and writing on average. And having been a high school reading specialist for years, it's very sorrowful to me to see that 80% of our high school dropouts are male. Um, I got so interested and I started reading other works. Another wonderful book is Why Gender Matters by Leonard Sachs. I see somebody nodding their head here. What I like about Leonard is that he's a medical doctor and he's a psychologist. So he can really quote the research on this and the brain scans and things like that. He knows what he's talking about. And what he says is that school, not drugs, is the new problem for boys. Um, this started getting on, it's been coming to light over the last two years. In January 2006, Newsweek did a whole issue on the boy crisis. And what they were talking about is that the percentage of male undergraduates has dropped 24% from 1970 just to 2000. We're in 2008, all right? Now, this is kind of a two-edged thing. If the boys, or less boys are choosing to go to school, who is, who is choosing more to go to, school, to college? Girls. Girls. And that's a good thing. And that really comes back to the 70s. What was passed in the 70s that really changed the outlook of, of the importance of college for women? Anybody remember? Title IX. Title IX was huge. That the, the male football team couldn't get paid $40 million and the female field hockey team get paid $4 million or $4,000. Right? So, but we're still seeing this huge drop. Um, 30 years ago, men represented 58% of the undergraduate student body, now they're a minority of 44%. I then called the top university in America. <laughs> is, there any, ah, is there anybody here from Kansas? <laughs> and if there's anybody here from Duke, you get out right now. <laughs> see, the way we see it is, we don't care about the national championship. As long as we beat Duke, that's all that matters. <laughs> 
That's not quite true. I did call my university, though, and uh, I asked the Department of Admissions this year, who did you, how many did you admit of each group? And they said, well, we admitted 58% girls and 42% boys. And I said, you know, I'm just kind of wondering, wouldn't you have wanted to do 50-50? And they said, well, of course we did. But we didn't get enough qualified males. Caroline takes the top. We didn't get enough qualified males to even apply, that they aren't applying to the university. Um, what percentage of high school students do you think dropped out? 20, 10, 40, 30? We're now up to one in three. New study came out on April 1st called Crisis in the Cities. You can Google it. Very small study, bring it right up. It's so disheartening. They took the 50 largest urban areas in America. For most of them, the average dropout rate is well over 50%. For some, I'll give you a couple examples. LA, 45.4 is the graduation rate. For New York, 45.2. For Detroit, 24.9. I mean, it's amazing in our urban centers where we are suffering and the work we have to do there to keep and 80 percent of these dropouts are what? Male. The work we need to do to keep kids in school. Why? Because it's costing us a ton of money. And if you think it does not affect you, you are so wrong. This is what Margaret Spellings was just talking about. She just gave a statistic, I'm not sure I have a slide of it, on April 1st when the study came out she was speaking 7,000 high school students drop out a day in America. 7,000 a day. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates have done amazing things for education. And by the way, this is the only depressing part of the, the speech. We'll get fun in a second. Um, they did a wonderful study called uh, The Silent Epidemic because no one was talking about the dropout rates. All right. What they found was it's a huge loss of revenue to the nation. 40% of our dropouts end up on government assistance. Get out your checkbooks. Dropouts are eight times more likely to end up in jail. Get out your checkbooks. Uh, I was doing this presentation once in Southern California, and a gentleman, an older gentleman came up to me at the end, and he said, you know what? What you were talking about, I just came into education late. I had another job. And what you were talking about, I, about boys, I saw all my years in work. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I was a California Highway Patrolman. He said, go to the Bureau of Justice and look. Here's what he told when I went and looked. 75% of our state prison inmates, 59% of our federal inmates, and 69% of our local jail inmates did not complete high school. And what are 80% of those? Male. Um, this was hard. I live in San Francisco now. This October of this year, this study came out. Over the last four years, 94% of San Francisco's homicide victims under the age of 25 were high school dropouts. We are paying for this in huge ways. Um, problems results. Studies show that the lifetime cost to the nation for each youth who drops out and moves into a life of crime and drugs is somewhere between 1.7 and 2.3 billion. When you add in the price of prison, the price of courts, the price of government assistance, all of that in, this is what we're paying. We are paying. So it's in all our best advantage to keep boys engaged in school. Because then we can put money somewhere else. All right, I got to thinking, oh my God, is this male, this view of males so bad, is it reinforced in all our society? So let's do this. Let's take the traditional American high school. I'm going to put up some positions, and I want you to yell out whether they're male or female. You ready? Secretary? Female. All right, let's put her over there. Uh, high school principal? Male. Let's put him over there. And what was he before the principal? Coach. coach. And what was he before the coach? Social studies teacher. <laughs> and I can go anywhere in America, and I get the exact same answers. By the way, that pattern is ending. Because... You want to know who the bullseye is in education? It's the principal. It is the principal. And we have fewer and fewer people going. We have a huge shortage of principals. And coaches are too smart to go into principalships anymore. They are. They don't do it. Um, coach, my high, my high school in Richmond, Virginia had uh, 13 coaches for the football team. Uh, no, we did. English? Female. Uh, let's see. Foreign language? Female. Put her over there. Um, librarian? Female. Put her over there. 
right, now think high school traditional. Janitor? Male. Male, put him over there. All right, math science? Male. Male, traditionally, yes. Okay, guys, I got to warn you. It's going to get ugly. <laughs> they get ugly. Watch. Well behaved. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Discipline problem? Nail. All right. I got to thinking, you know, does this show up in our literature? Um, I, I, was a, I wrote language arts books and social studies books, and I majored in literature at, Cal, at uh, Carolina. And I thought, okay, let's look at the great American novel, the great American novel, Tom Sawyer. Now, there's an American boy, right? I said, what I will do, I remember a scene where he's courting Becky Thatcher in school, and he gets in trouble. That maybe it would be cool to read that to the audience. So I go looking for it. I Google it. I get the first edition. Artists love this scene. They couldn't pass it up. Here's an artist in the first edition of Tom Sawyer. Okay. Who's this right here? Tom, what's happening to him? He's being jerked out by his ear. Uh, who's this back here? Can you see? It's one of his friends. What's he doing? Laughing. Laughing. Who's this right here? Oh, it's Becky. And what's she doing? She's reading. So I Googled a couple of other editions because I just thought, this is too funny. And like three editions later, the artist could not pass, pass this up. Here it is three editions later. <laughs> What's she doing? <laughs> Eating. All right. Then I thought, does this show up in our professional literature? One of my favorite journals is Educational Leadership. A couple years ago, they did Helping Struggling Students. Who do they put on the cover? Male. Where's his head? On the desk. You're going to find out the genetic reason for that shortly. All right? Okay. I thought, oh, my God, does this even show up in film? Do, are kids getting this message that males are the big problem? So I thought, what's it like a, a, a late elementary school, really popular book, movie? Outsiders. Harry Potter. Or Outsiders. Who's a smart, well-behaved character? Hermione. Hermione. She's done her homework. She knows the spells. She can get Ron and Harry, who are always impulsive, out of trouble. She can save them over and over and over again, right? So Michael Green's question is, should we, should we keep trying to change our boys? Or should we change the educational system in which they're now taught? You know the answer, but you'll really know the answer shortly. Okay, let's talk about the differences. What are the differences in the male and female brain? We're going to look at the female first. I want everyone to put their middle knuckles. See the middle knuckles? That's right here. That's what I call them. I don't know what they really are. Middle knuckles together like this. All right. Then I want you to middle knuckles. Middle knuckles, Susan. She's from Rhode Island. You know, just, <laughs> oh, small state. All right. And then I want you to pull your arms down like this. Ladies, be careful. All right. I never noticed that until a lady in front of me. And I went, ooh. <laughs> then, okay, what you got, it's not that funny. You got your left, your, left, your left hemisphere and your right hemisphere, right? Okay. Now I want you to put your, your hand right down here and look down at it. Okay, now that is about the size of your brain, honestly. I know all of you think it's a lot bigger, but no, it isn't. It's got to fit in this hard, thick shell. It's got fluid surrounding it, okay? Now, I want you to roll your fingers over and look where, look where your fingers come together. Right there, see? All right, that's where your corpus callosum is inside your brain. By adolescence, a girl's corpus callosum is not 5%, not 10%. It is 25% larger than a boy's. So the question is, what does the corpus callosum control? It controls the urge to go shopping. <laughs> and 20% of it is devoted just to shoes. <laughs> no, the corpus callosum is the bundle of nerves that send messages across the two hemispheres of the brain. Well, if an adolescent girl's is so much larger, what, is, what are women likely to do better than men? Shop. <laughs> Multitask. Yes. And men have known this. You think of the four, historically, what are the four jobs we've given women? Secretary, nurse, teacher, mother. Can you think of four jobs that require more multitasking than those? No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. All right. Girls have fewer attention span problems and make faster transitions between lessons. Let's imagine you're a self-contained sixth grade classroom. You say, class, we finished our math. Let's get out our social studies. And all the girls in the room go, oh, we finished math. That's the blue notebook. I'll put it over here. It's got the little butterfly on it. Look at the social studies. Oh, that's the red. It's got that flower I drew yesterday. I just love social studies. Yes, 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 yes. And I look at the class and the boy's going, 
They're just sitting there, right? They haven't moved. And all the girls have got all their stuff all out. We don't jump so well. Right? We just don't. Right? Stronger neural connectors makes better listening skills, more detailed memory storage, and girls even can pick up, discriminate among tones of voices. Ladies, how many times have you said something so beautifully, sarcastically witty to your spouse and they didn't get it? <laughs> Doesn't it make you mad? That was a zinger. And it, right here, right? Reminds me of a joke. A couple was driving down a country road and just had a fierce argument. They passed a herd of goats. The man said sarcastically, relatives of yours? The woman with the better tonal discri discrimination picked up the sarcasm and said, yeah, my in-laws. <laughs> a girl stronger neural connectors and a larger hippocampus provides greater use of sensory memory details and speaking and writing. Who writes more poetry, girls or boys? Girls. Who writes more journals, girls or boys? Girls. Who writes better descriptive essays, girls or boys? Girls. Teachers, if you ask your students to get out a blank sheet of paper and start writing, you have put your girls at a serious advantage and your boys at a serious disadvantage. You have all this stored up memory stuff you can just access. And we're sitting there going, uh? Right? I mean, we are. We struggle. All right, this is the biggie. The girl's prefrontal cortex develops earlier and is larger than the boy's. I think sometimes we do things, we do movements that we don't even realize how profound we are. Have you ever done something really stupid and you go, God, what was I thinking? You just slapped the CEO of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. It's right here, right behind your forehead, all right? It's, it, tells your brain, it tells your brain cause and effect, okay? Now, a girl's prefrontal cortex develops earlier and is larger. Somewhere around fifth grade, girls start looking at little boys in the classroom and go, why you act so stupid? And what you're seeing are the, the chemicals in those things. They begin to realize, wait a minute, if you do that, this happens. And the boy is just impulse. You basically have four major chemicals in your brain. Two of them are gas pedals. Uh, if I were to suddenly scream, oh my goodness, the building's on fire, what chemical will run through your body? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. The other gas pedal is neophenephrine. Your two slow down, think about it chemicals are oxytocin and serotonin. And they are created where? Prefrontal lobe. So a girl is getting chemically knows to slow down. I mean, girls have more serotonin and make fewer impulsive decisions than boys. Ladies, how many of you would do this? <laughs> and serotonin in that boy's mind that said, maybe I shouldn't put a frog in my mouth. No way. All right. Teenagers, now our prefrontal lobe continues to develop till we're about 22. How many of you did really stupid things your freshman year at college? I know you at Oregon did. Right? The rest of you are lying. You didn't raise your hand. Um, teenagers do not think of the consequences of their actions, especially boys. All right. They are still impulse-oriented. And this causes us huge problems. Why do we let 16-year-olds drive? It's convenience. It really is. Some states are thinking about changing it. Some states are thinking about changing it. And I, my dad was a lieutenant colonel. I talked with the Department of Defense Schools. I'm not anti-military, but we let military recruiters into high schools talking to not just seniors, to 14, 15, 16. Do you think any of those boys ever think they're going to die? No. Doesn't occur to them. Our jobs, jobs as adults is to serve as an external frontal lobe. Because environment is 50% of it, model cause and effect for boys, for everybody all the time. You know, okay, you can go to the mall, but what about your test tomorrow? I mean, parents say this kind of stuff all the time, and that's what good parenting is. You do this, this could happen, this might happen. All right, do you think anyone explained cause and effect to this middle school student? <laughs> my principal emailed me that picture because one of my kids did almost exactly One of your kids almost did this? He had speed talk, but he had a speed 
got his feet caught. Climbed backwards through his chair and now having to be sawed out by the coach or the shop teacher. And he's still got a lollipop, right? Don't scream. That's why he won't scream. What are they doing to him in there? All right. There are two wonderful DVDs. There are actually three, but one of them hasn't come out yet. One of them is Raising Cain by Michael Thompson. Two-part DVD. Absolutely fabulous. He takes different groups of kids, different races, and different socioeconomic levels, and uh, boys, and looks at them through periods of their life. And the biggest thing you come off is how fragile boys are. And they will never let you know it. Any man will tell you the worst thing you can ever do as a boy growing up is show weakness. And you are walked over. Okay? I want to stop and show you real quick a piece of another great DVD. You can get both of these from pbs.org. All right? Um, inside the teenage brain. All right? Just take me a quick second to come up here and switch. Um, where's my volume man? He didn't leave. Did my tech man really leave? It was working fine a minute ago. Oh. Well, no, actually it's not. Now, let's see, I'll put it on mute. Speaker on. No, it's... Uh, he shouldn't have left. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but is he male or female? <laughs> I should have known. My mistake. All right, I'm just going to shrink it down. We'll go on, and if he comes back, I'll yell at him, and then we'll see it. Um, basically, what it's, it shows is a bunch of 14-year-old boys um, skateboarding. And it looks, it, and it is so dangerous what they're doing. And none of them, and it talks about the prefrontal lobe. Okay? Boys are significantly more likely than girls to do something dangerous. Uh, risky and dangerous activity triggers a fight or flight response that gives a tingle or charge, an electric charge in the male's brain. This is also what excites boys about competition. And using competition in the classroom is a great thing to do, but you just have to make sure everybody has a chance at winning. But it's a great way of engaging boys, all right? Boys systematically overestimate their own ability. <laughs> they do. And what's sad is girls systematically underestimate their ability. So one of the things you want to do as a teacher and as a parent is pull boys down to reality, keep giving them reality checks, and really build girls' self-concept up all the time. Make them feel, you can do it. You can do anything what you, what you, that you want to be, all right? Speaking of impulsive, did you hear the one about a husband and wife were giving each other the silent treatment? He needed her to wake him at 5 a.m. for a flight, but you know the silent treatment, you don't speak, so he refused to speak to her. So he wrote a note, please wake me at 5 a.m. He was furious when he woke up at 9 a.m. and found the following note. It's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> Y'all are so mean to us. How's my time? I gotta, is, uh, are, is, do I have sound now? Let's see. He says I do. He's not listening to me. Hello in the back. Do I have sound? He's a male. I don't trust him. Doesn't sound very good. Is that the way it's going to sound? It kept running, folks. Hang on a second. You know what? If he gets it fixed, we'll come back to it. But if you can't hear it, there's no really no need to do it. We'll come back to it. 
All right. I just want you to hear Jeff Foxworthy. If you can get it fixed before I get to the next thing, I'd appreciate it. Um, now, girls have tw twice the brain area devoted to verbal emotive functioning. Ladies, y'all like to talk. Oh my God. Um, seriously, women actually get a buzz out of hearing their own voices. The simple act of talking triggers a flood of brain chemicals that give women a rush that is similar to being felt like by heroin addicts. Now you think this is crazy? A woman wrote this. All right? You really do get a buzz out of hearing your own voice. Let me give you a brief example. I was flying home from Oswego, New York, back to San Francisco. Okay? Behind me, there, it's two and two. There's a woman on the window, a man, and then a woman and a man. All right? And here's the aisle. Okay? All of a sudden, the man and woman look over, and the, this woman goes to this woman over here, across this man. Didn't you go to... I did. Right? They went to college together. Now, the man knew her too. So this, this man over here leans over and says, oh, Hey, how you doing? All right. For the next, as we're taking off everything, this woman and this woman talk across the poor man sitting here and the aisle, all right? Nonstop, nonstop. Finally, this man, and I cherish an aisle seat. I'm one of those people. This man finally gives up and says, would you like to sit in the aisle? So after the seatbelt sign goes off. So they change positions, right? So now the lady is here, right? The movie comes on, I'm watching the movie. Movie ends, because it's a long flight. And they are talked through the entire movie. But I noticed the tone, the tone seemed to have changed. I turn around and look. This man has now given up. He has gotten up and walked over, sat by the other man. The two women are sitting behind me. They talked the entire flight all the way. These two men sat next to each other and never said a word. You think we're, we're, it'll work? All right. Um, women like to talk. And I want to play for you. Let's hope it works. Uh, a wonderful piece by Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah. Please work. This is so good. It's just that the, the sexes communicate so differently. Women are, women are so much more verbal than men. Men are always like, what do women want? I know what women want. Women want to talk. And they tell you that, guys. Every woman say to you from time to time, we need to communicate. And men hear the word communicate. Girls, if you'll stare through our eyes when you say that, you'll see football scores. Just start going just like this. <laughs> We don't know how to communicate, and women are so good at it. I've been reading about the brain, and do you know that between the left and the right side of the brain, there are these little bridges that join the two sides, and within women, this is like an eight-lane superhighway. <laughs> and in men, it's like a little dirt path. <laughs> they have now discovered that in the average day, a man uses about 25,000 words, and a woman uses about 40,000 words. <laughs> See, guys, that's why when, when you come home, and you're just dead tired. That's why she's still ramped up. <laughs> Meeting at the door. How was your day? Let me tell you, I had a killer today. I had to run the kids all over the place. And then I went to the library. I ran into Peggy Gray. Do you remember Peggy? We sat next to her and her husband last year at church at Christmas time. He's the kind of tall guy that's got a mustache with a little bit of gray in it. Works downtown at the, at the printing place. And anyway, I was talking to Peggy. And she was telling me that her sister went to Tulane. And that, that there was a girl she went to school with that grew up two doors down from me. Can you believe that? <laughs> How was your day? Colossum. That was so cool. All right. Uh, in adolescence, a larger fraction of the brain activity in girls associated with negative emotion moves up to the cerebral cortex. This is why. The, who teaches middle school? 
Is there a small drama with a girl? No, no. There's no such. It is all the end of the world. It, there's no such thing. What you are seeing is the chemicals moving up into her cerebral cortex. Now, the 17-year-old girl is able to explain in great detail why she had a horrible day. All right. In boys and in men through our lives, we do a lot of the same abilities, but it stays stuck down in our more primitive parts of our brain, in the amygdala. All right. Asking a 17-year-old boy to explain why he's feeling glum may be as productive as asking a six-year-old boy. We don't have those thoughts and feelings right up here so easily accessible. Asking your husband, what's the matter? What do you often get? Nothing. Because we, there's nothing coming up. And you have to give us time for stuff to process till we can maybe figure out what it is. Asking a teenage boy... What's the matter? How he feels is guaranteed usually to make him feel uncomfortable. He doesn't know how to answer that. And what he often does is, think, is thinking, well, what do you want? What do you want me to say? Now, let me give an example. A couple, uh, a couple married couple went to a, a couple counselor, all right? And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you for the first week, go home every day and write down what your day was like. And that way when you come back on Saturday... I can read those real quick and I'll learn all this background about you. We won't have to t waste money talking doing that. And they said, okay, okay. So the end of the first day, the wife and husband were going to meet at a bar and have a drink. This is, later that night, this is what the wife wrote about her day. Tonight I thought he was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a bar to have a drink. I was shopping all day with my friends, so I thought he was upset since I was a bit late. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested we go somewhere where we could talk. He agreed, but kept quiet and absent. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said it had nothing to do with me and not to worry. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled and kept driving. I felt as if I'd lost him. When we got home, he just sat there and watched TV so distant. I decided to go to bed. Ten minutes later, he came to bed. To my surprise, he responded to my caress and we made love but I still felt he was distracted. He fell asleep, snoring loudly. I cried. I'm almost sure his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. That's the woman's diary. You want to see the man's diary? Same day. Same day. I shot the worst round of golf today, but hey, at least I got lucky. <laughs> You know, ladies, if you haven't figured it out yet, that's about it. We're not really complex. With more cortical area devoted to verbal functioning, girls are better at sensory memory, sitting still, listening, tonality, mental crosstalk, and the complexities of reading and writing. In other words, folks, the very skills and behaviors most rewarded at school. Who mostly teaches school, men or women? Women by far. In, in elementary school, it's one in nine are male. It only makes sense, Susan from Rhode Island, if she learned quadratic equations, and I don't even know what they are. I just like that word. If she learned it a certain way, she would teach it to me the way it worked for her. And that's what we all do as teachers. Out of the goodness of our heart, this is how I learned it. It worked. Let me teach you that way. And what we have done is we've created an environment that works pretty well for Susan. But it's not working. What's your name? Alan. See, he's already lost his name tag. Oh. It's crunched up in his pocket. I'm going to carry you two on the road with me from now on. Perfect example. Eighth grade boys score 21 points high, lower on average. Basically, what Bruce Perry, Houston uh, neurologist, says, very well-meaning people have created a biologically disrespectful model of education. When Alan can't find his name tag and he's acting up and I go to him and yell at him, what I'm really saying is, you're not being a good girl. <laughs> I am. Girl behavior becomes the gold standard. But they're boys and they're not going to behave that way. Their brains aren't wired that way. Okay, let's look at boys real quick. We've got about 20 minutes. I'm going to, going to keep going fast. It's probably good we didn't see the video, actually. All right. Boys have more cortical, cortical area devoted to spatial mechanical. You are verbal emotive. You like to talk. We're spatial mechanical. We like to break things and then try to fix them. All right? 
Uh, okay. Alan, you married? Yes. Okay. Alan's married. Sir, you married? Yes, sir, sir. All right. <laughs> Your name is? Mitch. Mitch. It's math. I suppose there'd be tons of men. Uh, you're, no. you're, are you married? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your name? John. John? Joe. Married? Married? Okay, guys, do not edit your thoughts. Do not edit. I want to hear just what comes pops in your mind, all right? You have come home from your wife. It's kind of hard talk in the car. You hear her go in the kitchen. You hear her chopping carrots rather loudly. You go in the den. You turn on the TV, grab the remote, sit back on the couch. All of a sudden, she runs straight in front of you and yells out, Honey, why don't you want to talk about it? First thing that comes to your mind. Talk about what? Talk about what? Talk about what? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What are you making? What are you making? <laughs> That's a new one. I've never heard that one before. That was great. All right, I'm still waiting for one. What is it? What is it? All right, Alan. Talk about what? Talk about well, I heard it over there. What? You're blocking the TV! <laughs> Is that what he says? Yes! You're blocking the TV! What you've got to understand, ladies, is it's not personal. We are not there. You were in that kitchen doing all this verbal emotive stuff, right? We, our brain is not doing that. And you catch us by surprise. And then we either try to avoid or we backpedal or we think, oh God, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? How, what can I say to give me just a little bit of time? Can make, what did I do something in the car? What did I say? No idea. Right? No idea. All right? You, just, you catch us off guard. You make us very uncomfortable. Um, ladies, how many of you would sit around and try to figure out a way to keep birds from pooping on your new car? <laughs> But see, we're spatial mechanical. We would do that. I'm going to show you a Swedish car commercial. You notice the hammer and the uh, screwdriver. And Home Depot's come out for the new babysitting kit for men. Have you seen it? Oh, it's so cheap and simple. It's, it just works great. You want to know where a man's brain is? It's, it, it's all about movement. We are mes our brain is mesmerized by movement. And this goes way back to when we had to go out and kill things and bring them back, okay? We, I mean, we optics moving through the air, our little, we can be throwing our little sister around. We're mesmerized by movement. Can you think of a sport that wasn't invented by men? I mean, men right now are absolutely fascinated with March Madness. Why? What are we doing? And you think, how can they sit there and watch it? Because it's our brain. It's like how we sit there and go, how can you sit and talk for five hours on a plane? I, could, I don't think I have that many words in my whole body, my whole life. And you sit there and go, how can you stare at that team? Because we're staring at movement. And it absolutely fascinates us. Boys have less serotonin. And it makes us less, much more impulsive and we're much less likely to sit still and talk to someone. Okay, everybody give me a Diana Ross stop in the name of love with your left hand. Put your fingers together. Left hand. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look. I saw this on an amazing DVD called Brain Sex. The British are studying this very thing. Unfortunately, I even wrote the BBC, emailed them, and you cannot get it yet. So, but I want to tell you about a quick study. I want you to look at the difference in height between your... your is that your index? I forgot. Yeah, your right. index finger, skip your middle finger, and your ring finger. Look at if there's a difference in height. Now I'm looking at Susan right here. Hers are almost exactly the same. Uh, Karen's are exactly the same. Lucy, you've got a little difference. All right? But mo I will guarantee you most women are pretty close. Now I can see Bob's here. He's got a difference. Alan's got a big difference. All right, guys, let me see. Yeah, difference. 
See mine? See how different they are? Mine's different. And Yours different. different. Yeah, you're, yes. <laughs> They've been dressing you wrong your whole life. <laughs> These two guys have a huge difference. All right. No, no, no. It doesn't mean anything. Don't worry. You're not going to grow a mustache. All right. Here's what they have learned. Here's what the British figured out. They figured out that the, lo- the bigger the difference in height of those two fingers, the more testosterone you were exposed to in the womb. Now what it may mean is that you're more, a little bit more spatial mechanical and you may, be, it may have been athletic at some point or like outdoor activities and things like that. Okay? And Susan's shaking her head, yes. All right. I had a lady from Broward County one time down in Florida. The, the whole table, her Broward table was making fun of her, and they do that in Broward. They make fun of each other. And she, and they were giving her a hard time because she had this huge difference in her fingers. She stands up. It's like 500 people. She stands up and takes the mic on a man. She says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a fraternal twin. I shared the womb with my brother. All right. So now, here's what the Brits did. They got one professor at a university called another university and said, get seven sprinters and have them run a race and mark down how they finished. Now, I couldn't find a male sprinter on uh, clip art, so imagine these are San Francisco hippies being chased by the police. (laughs) Okay, so this is the order that they finished in. And he said, now, but don't tell me. He's at another university. He said, photocopy their hands and send them to me. And he measured the difference. You're math teachers. You know statistically significant. He called back and said, here's the order I think they finished in. He got number one right, number two right, he switched three and four, and he got numbers five, six, and seven right. Pretty amazing. All right, now, gender differences show up at a very early age. They, interestingly, the way we use our hands is one of the ways gender differences show up. I'm going to show you a little girl, like about four or five years old, and you'll already see how her gender, her femininity is showing up in the way she uses her hands. See? <laughs> Credit card and cell phone. (laughs) And nail polish. And nail polish. Now, for boys, guys, it shows up even younger. It shows up when we're babies. You want to see? What can I say? Boys have less blood flow to the brain, and we tend to compartmentalize learning. All right? Here's something you can start doing in your classroom. <laughs> Giving a blank sheet of paper to a boy is, is a struggle. All right? What is something that compartmentalizes a blank sheet of paper? What do we call them? Folded. Folded or graphic organizers. So giving boys graphic organizers, especially if it's some of them are a little started, like here's where we want you to start. It's going to look like this. Huge way of getting a boy started to work in a classroom versus get out a sheet of paper. All right? Okay. Um, by the way, many tasks brain images show that women use, guys, I hate to tell you, they are using the more advanced part of our brain, and we use the more primitive part of our brain. Now, some men, however, have utilized this primitive part very well. I'm going to show you an Italian beer commercial. show you a Dutch TV commercial. A married couple has gone to bed. He's turned on the TV. (laughs) 
Y'all are so mean to us. All right. The male brain is designed to go into rest states. It, we, we, it really does. You know how men just pass out on you? We do. And we can feel it coming on. It's feel like almost going unconscious. Our brains, you have 15% more blood flow to your brain than we do. So you get just as tired, but you tend to stay awake. We literally, the male brain shuts down. Remember the kid, struggling students, head on the desk, who takes more naps in class, who takes more naps at home, right? The male brain, and if you're, ladies, if you're ever driving with your husband or your boyfriend or spouse or friend, whatever, and you see him nod behind the wheel, tell him to pull over. Because any of these guys can tell you when it happens when we're driving, it's tough. We have to fight our way through it. It takes about 15 minutes. It really does feel like this just veil is coming down over you and you're going out. So, strange feeling. Um, by the way, male rest states can happen anytime, anywhere, like this poor middle school student. You see what happened to him. Can you see? <laughs> At least he turned his head over. Right. The more words a teacher or parent or wife uses, the greater chance a boy or man will quit listening. You cannot talk us to death. We will stare at you. But trust me, we are not listening. <laughs> boys' brains are better suited to symbols, attractions, and pictures. Consequently, boys learn higher math and physics better. It's more symbolic math. Boys do prefer video games. Why? Because of movement and destruct. We love things blowing up. We do. Because when something blows up, you've got a ton of movement and you don't know where it's all going. All right? So we love stuff blowing up. Um, boys get into more trouble for not listening, moving around, sleeping in class, and incomplete assignments. But they're being boys. All right, now again, the environment plays a huge part on this. My daddy went to the Citadel. Any of you read Lords of Discipline? Pat Conroy? Lieutenant Colonel. My mother was a school teacher for 33 years. We were Southern Baptist. Did I mess up in school? No way. <laughs> So, and, and my mother gave me a great love of reading. So even though I played sports, here's the environment. I ended up majoring in literature at Carolina. So see, the environment plays a huge part into this, all right? Um, based on the behaviors we expect students in school, I just want to see, does it play out like in high school? So what I did was I looked at who takes which AP exam, and let's see if the gender stuff holds. So here's what I did. I, did, I found 2003, and I got the percentage of females, because then we know the percentage of males, all right? All right, art history, 66%. Now, based on what we've learned today, think about it. Verbal, you talk about art, you write about art, it's descriptive, all that stuff, right? Visual, okay, that makes sense. Literature, 64% female, and that's true at Carolina and in my lit classes, very few males, and in my English education methodology class, I was the only male, all right? Biology 58, it's almost equal. And I don't know this, but I'm wondering. I wonder if this is environment. <clears throat> when I was growing up, mostly in the 60s and 70s, there were three doctor shows. Who can name them? Dr. Welby, Kildare, Ben Casey. What do they all have in common? Males. They were white males. And the race is huge. It sends just as strong a message. What it told everybody in this country, you've got to be a white male to become a doctor. Think about your shows today. ER, House, Grey's Anatomy. So what's beautiful, this is the beauty of environment. Girls grow up now and they're not, they, they don't have to be the nurse. I can be the doctor. I can be in that surgical room. So maybe that's where we're beginning to see this. Environmental science kind of even, but look what happens when we get in those symbolic perceptual sciences. Advanced physics, uh, mechanical physics, and these last two scare me. Computer science and advanced computer science. I don't want only males writing the computer programs that run the world's computers. Men like to blow things up. <laughs> and I'm, really, you go into any university into the computer programming classes, it's a sea of men. It is. I want to really support girls as they grow up into being, choosing that if that's what they want to do. All right? Okay. In your actual, I would do some strategies with you. We have uh, barely five minutes. Uh, remember then that activities that we tweak for boys are great for girls. You want to let the child be themselves, but you want to try to promote them in other ways too for environment. There are no differences in what girls and boys can learn, but there are big differences in the way to teach them. All right? These are in your handout, and there's tons of them. All right? So I'm not going to go through these. One of the things I will say, just some other things, always promote leadership with girls. 
And really, don't let a shy girl stay shy in your classroom. Support her. Give her uh, chances to talk when she knows she'll be successful. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. You don't do her any favors by letting her be run over in life. Um, these are all in there, just a couple. Have you ever wondered why, for boys, have you ever wondered why men won't stop and ask for directions? Look at number two. Male brain hates layered instructions. Alan, you need to go about two blocks. There's a McDonald's on the right. You'll go about four more blocks. He's laughing. Are you listening to me? No. As, ladies, you do it with your husband. As soon as you get to us and you start giving us a list of things to do, I swear to God, our minds just go, bink. We hate it. We hate layered instructions. So for boys in your classroom, numbered list on the board. And that will save you a lot of energy of having to repeat them again and again and again and again. Then they can look up and know where I'm at and where I'm going next. Now you can still do verbal instructions for your girls. They're probably all listening, but the boys aren't. Um, boys really need male mentors. America leads the industrialized world in fatherlessness. It doesn't have to be a father, but boys are really, really in dire need of mentors. Um, one of the most reliable predictors of whether a boy will succeed or fail in high school rests on a single question. Does he have a man in his life to look up to? Ninth grade boys are 78% more likely to be injured. And this is the statistic that blew me away. Between the ages of 5 and 14, boys are 200% more likely to commit suicide. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Um, I was going to show you Raising Cain, but we don't have time. Uh, how much time do I have? Scramble Stanley? I got two minutes. You can be late. Can I show you one activity? Okay. Okay. You can you four come up here and stand right here, going back this way. Can uh, let's see. You four stand right here. You four this way. Can uh, you three and you come up here and stand this way? All right. And then Alan. And you two guys, and you. Can you come up and stand? Y'all come up a little and move over that way. Yeah, I don't want you to stand in front of the screen. And then you guys, four guys right here. Okay. Learn this in Anchorage, Alaska at a middle school conference. Great, great sum, uh, review game, summarizing game. It's called Scramble Stanley. Here's the rules. I'm going to give you a quiz on what you just learned this morning. All right? Only the person in the front can answer. And the only way you can answer is you have to raise your hand. You can't yell out anything. All right? You hear that, ladies? You can't yell out anything. All right? Now, if I just do that, who's, go who's only going to be playing the game? Front person. So to get around that, yeah, y'all can whisper up the answers. But whisper because they're cheaters in this room. All right? Don't let the other teams hear you. Y'all can't say anything. All right? All right, so you can whisper at the answer. Now, sometimes there's more than one right answer. So if Susan raises her hand and she gives me one answer, and, and Fran, you think you've got another answer, that's fine. And what you have on each desk is a sheet of paper. And you'll tell them how many points to write down. And you just give them points. Now, when you get points, be very arbitrary. Yeah, it drives them crazy. <laughs> and that's what you're trying to do. Okay, turn and look at the screens. And there's a screen over there if you all want to look that way. Here is question number one. Name two things girls are better at because their corpus callosum is 25% larger than a boy's. I need two things. Alan? Talking and reading and writing. Oh, that's three, but you know it's a boy. Let's give him credit. Seven points. Susan? Talking and reading and writing. We just had that. Okay. Fran? Listening. Listening, I'll give you four points. Multitasking. Multitasking, nine points. That's the one I was really looking for. Okay, scramble Stanley, which means the first person goes to the rear and y'all step up. Okay, you ready? Look at the screen. Boys have half as much area as a, as a girl's devoted to ver emotive verbal functioning, but much more devoted to what kind of functioning? Karen. Um, movement. I'll give you two points. Uh, Spatial mechanical. Spatial mechanical, nine points. <laughs> All right, scramble Stanley, scramble Stanley. Here we go. Boys, keep it clean. Boys have a natural desire to do what physically? <laughs> yes. Blow things up. Blow things up. I'll give you six points, Tracy. Like moving things. Moving things, 12 points. Any more? Yes. What? what? Move. Move. Okay, but you're a male. I'll give you one point. <laughs> Scramble Stanley. Scramble Stanley. We'll just do two more. Are right, you ready? Look at your screen. Look at your screen. 
Um, boys have less serotonin and oxytocin, which makes them more what? Less serotonin and oxytocin, which makes them more what? Yes? More impulsive. Eight points. Anything else? Active. Active. I'll give you that. Six points. Natalie? Sleepy. Sleepy? <laughs> That's more like blood flow. No, I'm not going to give it any more. Okay, last one. Scramble Stanley. Scramble Stanley. Last one. Here we go. Um, name two helpful things that teachers can do when presenting new information to boys. We talked about some things, girls. Two things now. Susan. Use a graphic organizer. Graphic organizer. Put, put things on the board. Put Give things on the starting point. Board, starting point, yes. She's told. Oh, no, uh, nine points. Um, competition. Competition. What? what? Oh, uh, competition is uh, 12 points. Fran. Yeah, physical. Uh, 16 points. Get them up and moving around. Throw me something here. <laughs> Wait, they said that. Something you can get boys to do. Don't count too much. 1,482 points. God, pulling teeth. All right, great. Let's give him a hand. Y'all go sit down. Very good. Right? Okay. So real simple, just things like that. I mean, getting kids up. And, and that's good for girls, too. I mean, sitting in a classroom is not good for anybody. All right, okay. Why it matters. The uh, Michael Thompson video ends with this scene. He's in a, and he's, he went to a uh, prison outside Richmond, Virginia. And uh, he's, he's interviewing the warden about um, all the males that are in the prison. And he notices he doesn't see any overcrowding. And this is on the DVD. He says, how do you know how many... You don't have overcrowding. How do you know how many beds to have? He says, I quote, he says, I look at boys reading and absentee scores in the second and third grade. And I can pretty well extrapolate as to how many beds I'll need. That bad. Too often our boys feel like this in school. <laughs> we want them to feel more like this. I go back to Michael Gurian's initial question. Should we keep trying to change our boys? <laughs> we are, alright? Or should we change the educational system in which they're now taught, alright? And I think it'd be easier to, to tweak the system somewhat. A couple things. You've got my novel. I really thank uh, the National Council of uh, Math Teachers to, for buying what is it? Supervisor. Math Supervisors for buying um, a copy. That was really sweet. Uh, it, it, just so you know, it's only, we give teachers a 20% discount and a charity in San Francisco is a national distributor. And they get 50% of every book. So they got 50% of all this, which was really great. Great charity. And actually, it just went into its 16th printing, which is amazing because there's no advertising. Um, this, for those of you who also teach social studies, how many of you know KWL? That's Donna Ogle. She's a good friend of mine. And Ron Klemp is the secondary literacy coordinator of LAUSD. And we did a book together on building social studies. But the book I'm really, really excited about just came out this week. I read an uh, article um, three years ago by two San Francisco State professors who did a, said, you know what, the major testing of state testing is persuasive. And what we do is we hand kids a sheet of paper and say, you know, give us, here's the structure of opinion paper, write it. They said, you know what we should do? Maybe since kids love to argue, maybe we should start with debate. So I, I do workshops all over the country. I'm always creating new workshops. So for the last three years, I've been doing it as a workshop of starting with debate. And it involved with getting English teachers, socialist teachers, math teachers, science teachers to help me with this. And they have made it and made it better, better, and better. And so what it turned into, the first part is teaching kids how to argue. Now, this is not formal debate. It's very simple. It's called 20-minute debate. And it was a teacher here in Salt Lake City at Davis High School who taught me that. Art Cox is the principal. And she said, I get my kids up to do 20-minute debate. And said, they only need to learn a couple simple rules for that so you can do it in any classroom. You teach them that, and then you let them choose, which is huge to the human brain, a topic that they care about. Now, you have oversay of that, but there are 20 great topics that debate teachers gave me that are researchable, and it won't get you in trouble. All right? Then you teach them how to do real Internet research not Wikipedia cut and paste, right? And how to evaluate web sources. 
Then when they get up to start debating, you teach them how to look at logical fallacies, persuasive techniques, and bias. And then they write, sit down, and they do their debates. And then you give them the structured persuasive essay. They take their notes, drop it right in, boom. And you start it all with kids engaged because kids love to argue. And I did the whole book as um, copy masters. So it's step by step by step. So this just came out. It's in Senate Publications. It's not here, but uh, you can order it that way. Uh, if anybody wants me to sign your novel, I'll be up here. Y'all were a great audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be sure to tune in to our next episode, Coaching and Capacity Building by Lucy West. You may link to NCSM podcasts from your personal website and audio files may be downloaded and played on any system for personal, non-commercial purposes. Provided that, unless permission to do so is expressly stated and granted, you do not modify the podcast content nor redistribute the MP3 audio files made available as part of the podcast, nor any audio file downloaded from any portion of the NCSM website.